Our lesson today is going to be from Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. And <clears throat> believe it or not, I had to cut a lot out to hopefully make it fit in our time frame. <clears throat> okay, Daniel 7, 13 and 14, where this is the presentation of the Son of Man. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations of men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. <clears throat> now we, we go back to Daniel chapter 2, the vision of the, uh, or I should say, that Nebuchadnezzar's dream that Daniel interpreted about this great statue. And what we saw in that great statue is that that represented four nations that were eventually destroyed by the rock that came flying out and smashing it and crumbling it into powder. And here in Daniel 7, we saw the, the nations illustrated by animals. Remember the one that uh, was like a lion, and then the, we, had the, we had the lion, we had the bear, we had the leopard. And then the fourth one, this uh, described as something made of iron, almost with big iron teeth, so it's some kind of a metal monster or something. And then we, and it too is followed by another kingdom, which is spoken about here in Daniel 7, 13, 14. And you know, those nations are followed by a final nation that will not be destroyed. It will last forever. And that point is made over and over and over again. And that one we know is going to be the kingdom that is going to be ruled by our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what's coming. Again, that's what all these prophecies are moving towards and pointing to. See, one thing, too, about prophecy, it's, prophecy isn't given to us to make, to, to make fortune tellers out of us. Okay? Uh, it's, it's, it's made to, uh, that we understand what's going on and what the ultimate end of it. And along the way, as we read these and study these, I mean, you can go back, even the prophets themselves looked into these things to figure out what in the world would this mean. Daniel, oh, Daniel got all this stuff, and he was, it overwhelmed him. It overwhelmed him. And we're going we're gonna to see that we've seen it, we're going to see it again. And uh, like I say, it's, it's, it's like you go into the book of Revelation, for example, and you see all that stuff, and books are written about this, a lot of fantasy land stuff, uh, some of it. To where they have this going on and this thing and this represents this. You got uh, things like grasshoppers with wings and this flying out here and critters like this and things like that and people make big deals out of it. Again, what that's really written for, you know, who, you know who's really going to understand what's going on? The people that live it. They're going to say, oh, that's what that meant. But we looking ahead, you know, something written, like, again, again the book of Revelation, something written in first century language with first century technology in their mind. And then they're writing about something that is beyond our day. And it's like, you know, you know good luck trying to really narrow, nail that down as to what it means. And so often, across, you can see it across the ages in different writings about a lot of prophecy like that. People interpret things based upon what they know in their time frame. And that's the that's the big mistake. <laughs> That's a big mistake. Any part of scripture 
<clears throat> that's a big mistake. You know, mostly, you know, in, in hermeneutics, the, the best thing to do is you need to interpret it, okay, what did this word mean for, say, New Testament, for example? What did this word mean in the first century when it was written? But even in prophetic times, that isn't always helpful because they're, they're describing something beyond us in first century language. So keep that in mind when you read these things and don't feel bad that you don't understand it. It doesn't mean that you don't have the Holy Spirit or anything like that. It just means that first century language is trying to describe something beyond them. That's, you know, way beyond them. Okay, enough said about that. Verse 13, the Son of Man comes before the Ancient of Days. Now, the title Son of Man, when used of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is in fact a messianic term. Now, the Son of Man is equates the Son of Man is the... This is the stone of Daniel chapter 2. Remember that stone? Um, I want to go back and just quickly read that again, just to get us set up with that. Daniel 2, 44 to 45, the Son of Man is in fact that stone. Same individual. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left to another people. It will... It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it himself will endure forever. See, that? there's that theme. It will endure forever. Unlike every other kingdom that's ever existed, this kingdom will last forever. Verse 45, insomuch as you saw that stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, and the great, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true. And its interpretation is trustworthy. And again, we, we get into that, we see this. The Son of Man is, in fact, that stone. And that stone, it's interesting that the, the choice of, no words in Scripture are just randomly there. They all are there. The stone is not a, oh, let's just call it a stone. Well, Jesus called a stone before. Remember, he's the stone. He's the rock of the offense. He's the cornerstone of the church. He's the stone of stumbling to those that don't believe. The stone, that's not a, that's not a new term for, for our Lord. That's, that's a term for him, and it has a variety of applications. This one's a stone of, boom, destruction, okay? Because when he comes back, as we will see, he's coming back not only as king, but as judge, okay? Judge. Now, Jesus himself used that title about himself. Let's look at Matthew 8. Matthew chapter 8. We'll be in Matthew a lot. <coughs> There's a lot of similarities between Matthew and Mark. But Matthew, more than any of the Gospels, uh, really presents Jesus as Messiah, as the f- fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies. Christ is king. And, and Matthew points that out quite a bit. In Matthew 8.20, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You look at the context of this statement. The Son of Man, you think Daniel 7, the conquering king. But you know, the the first coming, he did not come as conquering king. He came as a servant. Remember what Philippians say? He emptied himself, he humbled himself, and became a servant. 
a slave. And so here he is. The son of man, the king of the universe, didn't have a home to name, didn't have a home of his own. See that? He, he lived in, he lived a lot, I think it, he stayed a lot at Peter's house and things. He did not own things, yet he's the creator of the universe. He did not own things. But 9-6, and I'm getting off the bean a little bit here. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Now he's going a little bit different direction in this next statement. 9.6 says, But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, Rise, take up your bed, and go home. All right. So again, the Son of Man. There, there's, a, there's one of those things, again, uh, that the Old Testament said of the Messiah. The Messiah would be a miracle worker. And again, just so you know uh, that I have the power to forgive sin, there's a lot we could say there, but we, that would be another lesson. But just, Son of Man referred to himself. I need to control myself and keep moving here. 16, 13, Matthew. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Again, once again, referring to himself. And then we move forward on that and... Um, we see probably, at least pre-Pentecost, Peter's greatest moment. Unfortunately, it didn't last much more than a moment, but it was a great, great moment indeed. And then most often when Jesus used this title, it was used in an eschatological context, referring to himself as the, as the future coming king. And right here in Matthew 16, we have that, Matthew 16, verses 27 and 28. Where he says, for the Son of Man is going to come in glory of his Father with angels and will then recompense every man according to his deeds. <laughs> Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Okay, what do you mean standing here? Well, that's talking to the disciples. And basically that's a quick reference to what some were about to see when he stood on the Mount of Transfiguration. And a few of the disciples were allowed to get a visual of the future glory of Christ. Okay, and that's what that's referring to. But again, but verse 27 of Matthew says, The Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father, angels. Boy, that's a direct reference to, to what we see here in Daniel 7. That's a parallel. As the, as the Messiah is shown in Daniel 7, is preparing to come. And then Matthew 24, another one out of that great Olivet Discourse where, where, where his disciples asked Jesus a question, you know, what are the signs of your coming? And Matthew 24, 25, Jesus tells them. And verse 24, 30 says, And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn as they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Again, that's what Daniel 7 is showing, what the preparation is, that vision of that to Daniel. This is the preparation of what is going to happen out there in the future. And this is the vision Daniel is given. And we keep moving um, in that, and we can see uh, 24 verse 37 says, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. What was the days of Noah? That was a time of judgment. Judgment, judgment. 
we'll be we'll be getting to this all of the discourse in much greater detail at a later time but just for now this term son of man i just want to get it ingrained especially we read through the gospels and when jesus refers to himself as the son of man think daniel 7 even in the ones where this where he referred to himself the son of man you know does not have a place to lay his head refer to that and then you can see the humiliation that that he that step down think of philippians 2 in that context and then uh verse tw- uh, chapter 25 verse 31 of of matthew but when the son of man comes in his glory all the angels with him and he will sit upon his glorious throne there again that's daniel 7 and you can throw in there with it the davidic covenant as well <laughs> i mean he another fulfilled and it says also in and we can stay here for a moment, where he's coming and, and Daniel puts it with the clouds of heaven. Again, this is, a, this is associated with Christ all along. Look at, the, his, look at Acts chapter 1. Acts 1, 9 to 10. <coughs> and here we are, the scene here is his ascension back into heaven. And how does he go back up into heaven? Acts 1, 9 to 10 kind of tells us. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they gazed, they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. What an amazing, amazing thing that must have been to see. Talking to the Lord, and here he goes. A cloud receives him and on up. And it's kind of funny you read the rest of the story. They're kind of looking up. and wouldn't, I mean, we would all do that. We would all, one last. And the, you can almost see the two angels standing there going, you know, what's uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, verse 11, let's just say it. He says, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? <laughs> you know? Uh, this, this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way you have watched him go into heaven. Isn't that interesting? Well, we're going to see that. He's also Look at the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians 4. This again will be a future topic where we'll probably spend the whole day on it. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. <clears throat> it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Again, this is not the second coming. We are drawn up to meet him in the clouds. We go up to meet him. He does not come down to get us. We we'll say, well, when does that affect? Huh, I'm glad you asked that. At the second coming, math, back to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 30 again. And then this is the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth shall mourn as they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory so he's going to be coming down on the clouds 
And when he gets to the earth, watch out. 26, Matthew 26, 64 says, Jesus said to them, you have said it, this is, now this is at the trial, okay? Jesus standing before the, for Caiaphas, okay? And he says, you have said it yourself. Uh, well, he was asked, are you the Christ, the Son of God? And, Je- and Jesus basically said, yep. Uh, he said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you hereafter, you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. When he comes on the clouds of heaven and when we get into the actual uh, uh, second coming and we talk about that, we're, we're going to see that a lot goes on there and he'll be separating the sheep from the goats and setting up the kingdom, assuming the throne. Uh, Mark fourteen sixty two says it, answering that same question, he says, uh, are you the son of the, of the, you know, the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus says, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So when he comes back, he's coming, coming down on the clouds, just like he was ascended up on the clouds. We meet the church, the rapture. The church meets him up in the clouds. And then when he actually comes down for the physical return to earth, he comes down, clouds bring him in, and then they see him in the heavens, and they foolishly, the kings of the earth foolishly think they're going to make war with him. No, no, not 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 a not a good move. Yes. Okay, so we go up in the clouds with Jesus before he comes down for the second coming, when he will separate the sheep and the goats, the sheep from the goats. Yes. I thought we we're gone. The sheep are gone. What are the sheep and goats that are left down here? Oh, the sheep and goats represent uh, two types of people on the earth. Sheep has always been a symbol of his people, the God, the great shepherd, the good shepherd. I mean, that's old in New Testament. And so that sheep is used in the, in the generic sense of saved people, unsaved people. Mm-hmm. Yet we're his sheep, but so Israel was his sheep. Future saints are his sheep. So it's a term like that. The context here is the rapture, and like I say, we're going to spend a whole day on this at least. The rapture happens seven years prior to the actual second coming. The church goes up prior to the tribulation. We're gone. The tribulation period is going on on earth. And then at the end of that, Jesus comes back on the clouds. And when he lands on earth, one of the first things he does is, is the people come before him and he judges sheep from goats. Remember the, um, the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the parable of the dragnet where they the fish, and they sit on the beach, and they separate the good fish from the bad fish. See, that's all that's going, that's going to go on when he eats there. So there's still people going to be saved after he comes down. The tribulation period itself will be uh, a time of judgment, but it also will also be a massive revival going on in the tribulation period. When he's actually ruling, that's the millennial kingdom, which is a whole different animal, which will be a whole different subject matter, which we will cover when we get there. But just think, church age, tribulation period, thousand-year reign, new heaven, new earth, eternity. (laughs) Okay? So the great guy throne is between the millennium is before the millennium. After. 
that is coming soon <coughs> to a theater near you. <laughs> right here. Yeah. yeah, that that is a future topic because it gets confusing. Matter of fact, in a week, probably either probably the week after next, we'll be getting into the 70 weeks of Daniel, and I'm going to pass out a chart where we see a time frame with no dates other than the ones in the past <laughs> that about just shows the breakdown of, of, of coming attractions, so to speak. Okay. Oh, if the rapture would come now, we wouldn't have to go through the lesson. <laughs> so, Lord, you trying to be now. Are, are, are you trying to tell me something? <laughs> well, I'm glad you're all enjoying this. Um, <laughs> Just can't wait for the next lesson, huh? <laughs> I have a friend that always prays, oh, Lord, let new time be now. Oh, that, oh, the, oh the old friend excuse, huh? I, I, it's not me, it's a friend of mine. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, hallelujah. Okay, we got this. Verse 14, Daniel 7, 14. <laughs> The Son of Man is coronated king, verse 14, Daniel 7. And to him was given dominion and a kingdom that all peoples and nations of men of every language might serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. You notice the emphasis here on that? It, um, everlasting, will not pass away, will not be destroyed. This is totally different than any other human kingdom that's ever existed. Think of a kingdom... That has lasted forever. None. <laughs> None. All gone. All gone. Uh, so, but there's one coming that's going to last forever. And that's his kingdom. That's his kingdom. That's our Lord's kingdom. And just be so thankful that we are citizens of that kingdom. That way, like his kingdom, we will last forever. <laughs> okay? In a good sense. Now, to him was given dominion. <coughs> and <clears throat> here's one of these things that I like to let Scripture speak for itself. Psalm 2, very famous psalm. Um, why do the nations why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples are devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. We see that in Revelation, where the, the armies of the nation stand against the, the coming of the Messiah. Oh, you know, it's just, but that's the power of unbelief. That's the power of unbelief. Unbelief, sin, does, sin causes irrational thinking. You can see it on earth, irrational thinking. To where you believe, people believe some pretty dumb stuff, just for a lack of a better term. Oh, yeah, men can get pregnant. What? <laughs> I mean, I only had high school biology, and I know better than that. You know, it's just like, come on, people. But, you, but there's people that actually, they'll fight you for this kind of silly information. It, it's silly, but, I mean, it's, and there's, there's, I'm going to paraphrase it, but there's scripture out there, sin will make you stupid. It really will. It really will. And stupid is in the Bible. <laughs> it, it'll, it'll make you stupid. I mean, just silliness. Anyway, verse 3, let us tear fetters apart and cast away their cords from us and, 
<laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. Let's just forget God. We don't need any of that, that. And look at verse 4. And he who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. That's not a laughter like, ha ha, isn't that funny? It's kind of a laughter like, yeah, right, pal. You just, how stupid is this? This is really, it's a scornful laugh. It's not a laugh because this is funny. It's a scornful laugh. And um, anyway, it says, then, then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. That's judgment coming. But as for me, I have installed my king upon the hills on my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, thou art my son. Today I have begotten thee. Okay, again, this is very similar to Daniel 7 in that, again, the Ancient of Days, we know that represents the Father, Son of Man, the Son. <coughs> the Lord said to me, Thou art my Son, do they have begotten me? That speaks of the, not his creation, because Jesus was not created. That speaks of his incarnation, him coming to earth. Okay, he says, Ask of me, and I will surely give you the nations as inheritance, and the ends of the earth as they pass. We'll d- deal with that in a moment. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and to shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Of course, they are not doing that. I mean, it's just our nation is not doing that. Our leaders are not doing that. Matter of fact, they're doing just the opposite. That's why Scripture says, "Pray for your rulers. Do homage to the Son." Verse twelve lest he become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How, and again, this refers to us as believers. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Because when he comes back, he won't come back to judge us at all. Psalm 110, and there's, checking the clock here, these are just, <laughs> there is so much, great things in the book of Psalms. It's, it is truly amazing what's in this book. You talk about, you know, you think of songs and stuff, and so I appreciate our, our music group in light of this. I mean, these are things that are sung, but this is hardcore theology in the Psalms. I mean, you want to learn, you want to learn about the doctrine of God, theology proper, read the Psalms. It's all about who he is. It talks about who he is, his attributes, what he's done. I mean, it's just everything. That's, it's, it's cover to cover. It's all over the Psalms. Psalm 110. <clears throat> the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth a strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule the midst of thine enemies. The, the, your people will volunteer freely in the day of power, in holy array from the, from the, from the womb of, of dawn, and your youth and are lead to do. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Again, we could go, that's another couple of weeks there. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter the kings in the days of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. And he will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. That's an interesting one. Drink by the brook and lift up his head. That's People say, what in the world is going on there? And a lot of the commentators basically say, I have no idea what he's saying there. But I think what it might be is like there's some other passage about lifting up the head, like he'll he's kneeling down to take a drink, lifting up his head in the sense of being 
superior. And that does speak of our Lord. In a, in a very humble way, lifting up his head as the one who is actually superior. I think that best fits. But that's just me. Okay, I mean, it's, if I uh, could be 100% sure of it, I'd say, you can take that as gospel. But I, I'm not sure. Right? That, that makes the most sense of all the different things I've read. That one makes the most sense to me in light of the rest of Scripture. But anyway, I'm still open on that one. Isaiah 11, um, 1 through 10. Isaiah is one of those books we could spend all day in Isaiah just about the messianic prophecies just concerning his second coming. And there's others. We know there's messianic prophecies about his first coming. You know, the, the, the one about the virgin birth is in there, you know. Um, you got Isaiah 7, Isaiah you know, 9 that's recited every Christmas, right? It's, it's there. But <clears throat> he has I've even much more to say about his, his second coming. Isaiah 11, 1 through 10, I, man, that's a, that's a lot. I'm just going to read a few out of here because I don't want to, there's a lot coming. But look at 11.1. 1. Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from its roots will bear fruit. Who's Jesse? Anybody know? Oh, <laughs> I'm glad you, at least you didn't say Joel Osteen. That's good. <laughs> Jesse, father of David. So a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, right? And so that's where it's good to know little things about uh, Bible history, know who these people are. So, whoa, wait a minute. Because very often Israel, and then they use the name Jacob interchangeably, because, you know, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And you go through there, um, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb. That's about the millennial kingdom. We'll get into that when we get to that, nations. Then verse 10. Then it will come about in that day that the nations will resort, will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for all the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. Again, one, nation, one day, and that's it. The nations, when he assumes that throne, the nations will go to see him. These will resort to the root of Jesse. And again, like I say, we'll be getting into this kind of stuff more once we get into that phase of the prophetic calendar, let's call it, all right? Um, there'll be glory in his kingdom Um, we're here in Isaiah uh, Isaiah 52 (coughs) again the last of uh, of those great servant songs that Isaiah has and this is actually the introductory section to really what continues on in Isaiah chapter 53 but uh, <clears throat> behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred before any man and his form more than the sons of men. Speaking about his, his physical features were just torn up, just ter- physically marred. Thus, he will sprinkle many nations. Now, that word sprinkle, I believe that word would be better translated astonished. They'll be taken back. Yeah. They'll be astonished. And then keep reading and we'll see why. They will be astonished. Thus he will astonish many nations. 
kings will shut their mouths on account of him. And that's, they will once they finally wise up and figure out who this person is. Okay? Like, whoa. Like, get back. You know, like, just that's in, in pure awe and reverence of who he is. <clears throat> For what had not been told to them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. And there's a time coming when mankind will understand. And those people that make it in to the millennial kingdom will will finally understand. Finally understand. They're finally going to get it. But again, that's even that is going to require the grace of God to get that done. Psalm 24, we'll, we'll leave that be for now. That's a great one to read. That's one of those that I keep finding. That's that, tri- I call it the Trilogy of David. Psalm 22, 23, 24. You want a beautiful devotional about your Messiah? Read those three together. They're all three about him. All three of them are about him. Um, okay, and it says, and Daniel says, all the, all the peoples and nations of every language might serve him. Let's look at Psalm 22. This is kind of a sneaker. Psalm 22. We're familiar with Psalm 22 as being such a vivid description of crucifixions centuries before crucifixion was even a thing. Okay. Um, Psalm 22. If you go toward the end, verse 20, the end, verse 27 to 31. <clears throat> much happens here <clears throat> all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord hmm remember what what were you we just talking about in the previous verses of 22 crucifixion matter of fact today is a communion Sunday we're going to remember later on today in communion we're going to remember this very thing. The ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nation will worship before thee. For the kingdom is for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him, even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Hmm. Remember that? One day every knee will bow. Remember that? Philippians 2. One day every knee will bow. Verse 30. Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness. And here's where we show up, believe it or not, to a people who will be born that he has performed it. Isn't that beautiful? Think about that. Isn't that amazing? Scripture is so rich. John 10, the Good Shepherd. Romans 9. I mean, it's speaking of a worldwide kingdom. Again, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. We saw that in Daniel chapter 2. We saw that in Daniel chapter 7. (coughs) But the message from Genesis through Revelation. The Messiah, the Redeemer, will come and gather his people to himself from the very beginning. I mean, let's go back to, you say, well, where is it? Let's look at Genesis 3. 
<coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Still the old. <coughs> Still got the crud going from the cold of three or four weeks back. Don't get nervous. It's not COVID. Don't worry. You know, you know, don't, don't, no need to evacuate or fumigate the building. <laughs> We're fine. Genesis 3.15. This day and age, man, you got to be careful. This is a very familiar passage. God pronouncing judgment also pronounces salvation. I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, which we know as Satan, and between your seed and her seed. Hmm. Her seed. Again, going back to my high school biology, women don't carry the seed. Men carry the seed. Women the egg. Right? Now, they may not know that in colleges anymore, but <laughs> but I still remember from high school. <laughs> okay. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Speaking of that seed of the woman, <clears throat> he, that, that seed is now identified as a he, he shall bruise or crush you on the head, and you shall bruise or crush him on the heel. So, in the seed of the woman, we know this is Messiah, Jesus. When he, at his, the ultimate end of Satan is because of his sacrifice on the, on the cross, Jesus will literally crush the head of Satan. And in the process, his heel is going to get crushed and, and get damaged. And it got and he got damaged on the cross. That's referring to what happened on the cross. A lot of damage. By his stripes we are healed. All that. You know, he was pierced for our transgressions, right? So, yeah, that definitely definitely happened. And then we let's move forward again in uh, Genesis 49. Let's move forward in Genesis again. Genesis 49, 9, and 10. Tremendous passage here. Great passage. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches and he lies down as a lion, and a lion who dares, as a, and, and as a lion, who dares rouse him up? Judah is a, <clears throat> described as a tough dude. His tribe is a <clears throat> very tough tribe. Verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. I'm the scepter, like the king holds the scepter. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, plural, the peoples. Now, what's that talking about? Well, a good place to see that and close is Revelation chapter 5. Let's just go to the Genesis, kind of like the beginning of the story. Let's go to the end of the story. Revelation 5, beginning verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat upon the throne a book, written inside on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? 
And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look onto, into it. And I began to weep greatly. That's John talking. I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to, said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, root of Jesse, root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne and with the four living creatures and the elders and a lamb and a, and a lamb standing as if it slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he came and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Man, that's such a parallel to Daniel 7 right there, that statement. Okay, it's like, I can do this, take it, and then get it done, right? I mean, and when he had taken the book, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, having each one a harp, golden bowl full of incense, which is the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and you did purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you had made them to be a kingdom of priests who are God, and they will reign upon the earth. Wow. Quite a scene, huh? Quite a scene. Well, I think just close, I can't add to that. Just close and better. <laughs> let, that, let that stand. Heavenly Father, again, Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. And again, Lord, we... <clears throat> We would also bring before you the the prayers that were asked this morning, and we especially bring before you Kit and her children, that you would bring them through this process. Lord, we, we know that you know the end of this, and we know that you are a sovereign God. We pray, Lord, that we would recognize, and as a church, that we'd rally around our sister, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.